Podcast. My name is Dan Ledbetter, and with me as always, the resident mama bird, founder and CEO of Little Bird Marketing, Priscilla McKinney. Good morning, Priscilla. Good morning. I am not a robot. <laughs> well, you kind of sound like one. You sound like <laughs> one of those... Just try to do something different in our intro, you know? Well, that was pretty good. Yeah, you, uh, I, I, this week will be 60s robot week. Okay. <laughs> have you ever noticed that, how, like, 60s robots always have that same distinct sound? It's like in marketing. Don't you notice that you're seeing the same stock photography over Oh, my God, over absolutely. Yes. Like, you go to your bank, the website, and you're like, oh, there's these two people, this couple, looking over their checkbook together. And then two weeks later... <laughs> on a billboard, you see that same couple. Yes, discussing, and then on know, a bus, and options. then on a flyer. Yes, they're everywhere. <laughs> totally. Where do they and get now... all the money to sit there and do their banking all the time is what I want to know. <laughs> so it's even funnier. Vince Vaughn did this whole series of free stock photography you could use. Oh, did I ever I... tell you about this? Yeah, I saw them. Oh, my God, they're brilliant. You got to Google that. Vince Vaughn stock photography, and it's like the kind of stock photography you're used to seeing everywhere with the undefined office people right. talking about synergy. You know, like, what are they doing? Nobody does that in an office. You right, know? exactly. And then, but then all of a sudden you're looking at it going, wait a minute, what, what? And Vince Vaughn is in every one of them. Right. <laughs> Oh, that dude is so funny. But even crazier, I had this story. I, You know, I love to listen to This American Life. And, right, right. And there is my favorite podcast on there about this elusive music. Do you ever hear, like, the same music out in different places, stock music? Yeah. Do you know what I'm talking about? Like, there's, there's a really famous one. I swear if you listen to it. Hold on. I'm sending it to you right oh, now. Okay. okay. I, I got to email it to you. I'm going to send this to you. And then let's discuss. Here, okay, I just got it, so I'll, let me play it. listen to this whole podcast on this American life about the story that this guy so he was on hold with medical companies for a couple of years and right. literally this music he loved it he wanted to buy it to have it and it's this whole story of this pursuit of how he tries to find he talks to people you know put me back on hold I want to hear this music and <laughs> you know all this kind of stuff and it's his story about how he comes to find out where the source of this elusive music was and it turns out it's a guy who created it for someone in the LA area like when he was 16 and got paid you know I don't know 50 or 60 bucks for it and now it is literally on like 80% of the on hold music in medical facilities it's like the the uh the industry standard of music oh my gosh and i'm serious <laughs> if you listen to it you're just like it is to me the equivalent of the overused stock photography right. and that 1960s robot voice you know? <laughs> <laughs> and Absolutely. that is how we come <laughs> Once again, we've come full circle to nothing. It's just, it's just there is nothing inside the circle. Please don't look. There's nothing here to see. 
Oh my gosh, that is so funny. I love how we haven't even done the intro really and we've already digressed. <laughs> That's true. We're starting off that. slow and tapering off. <laughs> uh, well, speaking awesome. speaking of that, what would you like to talk about today? I mean, we, it, the, one of the things I love about our podcast is honestly, it feels like like I've gotten my cinnamon roll and my coffee. We're just sitting around your table and we're just talking. And I love that about that because it could be about anything. Right, except that I don't have a cinnamon roll and you do. <laughs> there is like the problem. Dude, yes, so obviously I'm one up on you. So I call this the modern podcast for the modern entrepreneur. So yeah, I love this, like constantly being casual and candid about what's really going on, what people need to do. I like to take the mystery out of things. I feel like people feel so badly that they don't know things about business. Mm. And I think that people are made to feel so badly about what they don't know. Right. And I just, I love to just pull the curtain back and say, come on, let's just be who we are, know what we know and say, hey, these are the gaps that I have. Let's fill it in. And I think for, I've talked a lot about how entrepreneurs, there can be a very lonely crowd. So I love this podcast because it's like talking to my fellow entrepreneurs. Maybe that makes the day maybe a little less lonely in that sense out on the, the plank that is risk. Right, right. Like you're not the only one out on the desert island. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. We've got so many metaphors I could insert right there. But... Yes. Welcome to the metaphor podcast. Right. Now I know that the, it's not the only person that listens as an entrepreneur. I also have like marketing execs, you know, and then I have people who work in graphics. I know I have a, a spread of different people that listen, but you know, I am an entrepreneur and that resonates with me. And we talked on the last podcast about personas, why yes. it's so important to understand your audience. Right. And one of my personas um, is the entrepreneur. Mm, yes, and that's right. So when I sit down to podcasts, I've got to think about that entrepreneur. What is important to them? What do they want to hear? Why would they take time to turn this podcast on and you know, use their commute to get something fresh and inspiring or maybe not feel so alone or get a great tip, an idea, or, you know, maybe shift their paradigm about how they've been looking at a problem. And that happens to me all the time. The The podcasts I listen to, they don't need to be about the exact topic that I'm struggling with, but sometimes a solution in one area of life trickles over and go, oh my gosh, that is the solution over here. Right, right. Like I talk about some of the best inspiration comes when I'm straightening my hair, you know? Yes, yes, exactly. <laughs> your brain exactly. has to go offline to some degree, and then, you you know, your life just becomes richer for it. So I, you know, I think a lot about that entrepreneur. That's my persona. And so maybe today, I don't think we've ever done this, but why don't we talk about that persona, like what it is like to be an entrepreneur? Obviously, everybody loves the pros. Our society loves the entrepreneur and there are a lot of pedestals out there that right. are ready to put you on. But the reality of, of entrepreneurship is different. And it's something that I think a lot of people, they don't like talking about the foibles that entrepreneurs have. They don't like talking about how how much you have to struggle in sure, entrepreneurship. Sure. And for whatever reason, I like to talk about my negatives as well as my positives. <laughs> I don't know why. <laughs> Well, I think it's good because I think, uh, one, it, it demystifies it a right. little bit. And two, it's kind of like when you start talking about those things that you fear, it, it shines a light on them and it actually makes them smaller sometimes than what they actually were. 
Right. You know, because if you don't talk about something, it, it goes around your head and it gets bigger and bigger and bigger. And it can be this, this stumbling block. And I think by talking about things, I think it sheds light on different aspects of it and doesn't make it like the, you know, like when there's a cat on the floor and there's a light shining up <laughs> under it and it casts this giant shadow on the wall. It looks oh, like right. a monster. Right. It, I, I, think it, I think it demystifies, like you said, and it mm-hmm. also makes it less threatening. Mm-hmm. Well, and when people aren't threatened, they begin to bring their real selves to the table. Right. Absolutely. You know, it's when we're threatened that the absolute worst comes out of us. We're in complete, you know, most base instinctual mode. And right. most of us are not good in our base instincts. No. No. <laughs> we go all feral. I find I've been spending my whole lifetime to mask those. <laughs> <laughs> well, you've been doing a great job, at least for the hour we're here. All right. <laughs> So tell me some of the stuff about entrepreneurship. I mean, good Lord, there's so many areas that this can mm-hmm. cover. Mm-hmm. But let's let's talk about the obvious one first. Like, mm-hmm. like let's talk about risk. Okay. Because, oh. <laughs> yeah, I know, oh, right? Oh, That's the jugular, Dan. <laughs> yeah, I, I figure if we're going to jump in, let's let's go in the deep end. Yeah. So wow. Like, so let's, let's talk about that now, especially being an entrepreneur with a family. Mm-hmm. I can only imagine some of the internal and external conversations you have with yourself and with obviously with others, like, you know, I, I've got, a, I've got a husband, I've got, a, I've got kids, I've got responsibilities. I have bills. I have a mortgage. I have this, I have that. How, tell me about that whole thought process. Like when you're going to change and shift gears and do something different, I, I can't even imagine that, how it, <laughs> I, I don't even know. I don't even know what question to ask. Really. It's like, really? how does that even happen? Like, what do you do? What's the thought process when you are shifting gears? Like, when you changed from the credit card thing mm-hmm. into the marketing thing. Now, I know it's a little bit different because it sort of just happened, but but I'd love to know the thought process, how that, how that happened. Like, all of the thoughts about the risk of your family, of their well-being, and all that mm-hmm. came into play. Yeah, but, you know, I think it is easy to talk about financial risk, and that's what a lot of people associate with that. But I think there are some other risks that are interesting to talk about, and um, I think we should get my husband on to talk about them with me, but I, I'll touch on a few of them. There Ooh, are That would be a fun podcast. I know, right? Because he knows the reality of it, and I can't just paint it a certain way. Sure. I think it's uh, Paul Theroux who always said that marriage is just basically having another witness to your life. Without that person, you'd lose the real memory of the event. But let's talk a little bit about the financial risks, because I think that really is a great topic. I want to acknowledge the fact that there are social risks that you take and there are relationship risks, specifically your family and and marriage. And if you look at what people risk and how marriages fail or succeed under entrepreneurship, that is a an amazing, interesting right. other topic because, you know, they say that one of the biggest things that couples fight about is money. Yes. Um, and what is entrepreneurship but risking all your money? <laughs> right. <Yeah. laughs> exactly. It is. It's like going to Las Vegas and putting it all on like Black 13 or something. Uh-huh. Yeah. It, it Believe me, it feels like that sometimes, but I think that it is coupled with, it, it, I think every personality is different. For me, I've never felt that vulnerable, and that comes from a place I've always been like the number one believer in myself. Right. Uh, and that's not always been my my best suit. And I know that a lot of people who are in entrepreneurship wish they had my kind of optimism, 
But sometimes that optimism is its own enemy because sometimes you can't see the reality and make a solid decision based on the numbers and the facts because you're so optimistic that you can pull out of anything. Right, right. And so that's my take on it is optimism. That's very, you know, I know so many people who struggle to get there, but they don't realize if you get here, I still have your issue. You know, the the things that you have in spades, that, that, that real, I mean, I have a lot of common sense, but where people are really driven by metrics. Yes. Right. And metrics is one of those words that I feel gets tossed around, but I've got to be really honest with you. When I started um, my businesses, there were no metrics. <laughs> I mean, what are you going to base them on? I mean, they don't right. have anything. And I think that people like to talk about that and pretend that the right metrics are there. And that's why they made these logical decisions. But I've yet to meet that entrepreneur that made just a logical decision. It To me, every person I have met, at some point, it was an emotional decision. Mm. They were pushed over the edge at their job. They were sick and tired of being sick and tired. They had no respect for management. They had this idea that was eating them alive. They felt like they needed to turn their life around and finally believe in themselves. I mean, these are just a few of the phrases that I've heard. And none of them have been, well, the numbers looked so good that I did it. (laughs) (laughs) I've never heard that. So I don't think that any entrepreneur makes a decision just based on these raw numbers. Now, investors make a decision. Like when you get more advanced in your entrepreneurship and then you begin to invest in other companies or in other lines of business or those things, you start making more logical decisions. And those are truly investments. And I, I do that now. But I think it would be going back and repainting history incorrectly to try and make it look better for me. Mm -hmm. I did not look at things logically and say, this is a good decision. Let's risk it. (laughs) Wow. So you just jumped in like with both feet. Well, you know, and we, we talked a little bit about my story, but I, we jumped in both feet. We knew why, but it certainly wasn't because money was that that was a sound financial risk. Right. It's that it, 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 the question is, what will you risk? I was very bored at my job Mm. and I'm a very dynamic social person And literally the work I was doing in my first company, it was really boring me and it was harming my everyday experience. And when I started to add marketing in, which by the way, I still have my other businesses. So it's not like I've stopped doing those. Right, right. The risk for me of not diversifying and not trying something else that was more enlivening to me was far bigger than if I would lose my money. Mm. And the fact is, Steve and I have lived with no money before, so I I know it's possible, and I know I can be happy. Right. So I kind of – and I will say, you know, Steve and I should talk about this a little bit. We are a little bit odd. (laughs) We're just not – neither one of us feel that way about money. Neither one Mm. of us are that beholden to money. Right, which is a good place to be. Oh, my gosh. I seriously – I thank God every day for that because you could not – I can't imagine the stress that it is if you and your partner are not on the same page about money. Yeah, because if one of you is really stressed about money all the time, good right. Lord, that that can, number one, that can kill creativity like nothing else. Right, right. And two, it's like it, that is your driving force, and that mm-hmm. never is a good place to be for mm-hmm. for an entrepreneur. Well, the most I can say about risk is that everybody's taking it to some degree. Even you staying at your job, you are taking a risk right now. 
And that's what I think people fail to see. The risk cuts both ways. It's not just entrepreneurs that are making risks. Right. People who don't on, become entrepreneurs are taking risks by sitting at a desk. And I don't mean to, to, to belittle this, believe me. No, 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 if no. If you want to stay at your job and still work that nine to five thing, you are risking also. It just doesn't feel as risky. And as my husband likes to say, that is just a feeling. Right. <laughs> So, but I mean, that's funny to say, but it's so true. Yeah. You know, they're, it's kind of like the, this too shall pass sort of thing. Right. They're risking never finding out if they had what it took. Right. Right. Wow. That's so mm-hmm. interesting. So and let's see. I'll, I'll know that at the end of it. I, I, I have failed hugely. I have succeeded hugely. And so I know more where I stand. I know my abilities. I know where I'm weak and I've carved out a culture around me to mitigate some of that risk by being truthful with my team and saying, oh yeah, that sliver, I'm horrible at it. Who can help me? We talk about our stand-up meetings in the morning being, we, we keep creating it. It's so funny because we're, you know, well, we keep working on theme, theme songs for it too, but um, is we call it now the help I need meeting. Because <laughs> you just start your day with this is the help I need. Right. And it's just the the acknowledgement at the beginning, not one of us can do this on our own. I even as the as the entrepreneur in the face of the company, I cannot if everybody here walked out tomorrow, I cannot do this. I can't. I don't have these skills that are present at the entire table. And I need help to do even the pieces that are my role. Everybody knows pretty clearly here. You know, what things I'm exceptional at and what things I'm just like, oh, really? That's on the table today? (laughs) Good Lord. (laughs) And it's so freeing to have other people around you know that and to be able to respond and give you the help I need. So what I mean by that about risk is I don't think it's riskier to be an entrepreneur or not. Now, maybe there's more financial risk to it. But again, I think there's financial risk on the other side. You could make 10 times as much as if you left that job. You could also lose everything, FYI. (laughs) So I think the risk is there. But for me, the issue is you just need to be in touch with where you really stand about risk. What are you comfortable? It cannot be a nebulous stance. You know, and I think all of the problems come out when people don't think they're risking, but they are, or they think they're risking, but they're really putting nothing on the table. Right, right. So I think it's just not a clear cut, but like from the outside, people wouldn't necessarily know if who's risking or not, but you know. Yes, exactly. exactly. So that that's, I think that's even more interesting, but yeah, I, let, let's, we'll have Steve on and let's talk about like really the financial repercussions and what it's really like as a couple. Being yeah. A, well, especially when you throw family into the mix, right? Because yeah. there's, it's like, mm-hmm. not only do you have a husband, your significant other, but you also have kids involved and like, you, mm-hmm. so it's, it's not only just about you and following your dreams and the things that are closest to your heart, but you have to take into account, obviously your husband and the kids as well it's like oh my gosh that like that adds so many different layers to it right yeah now we're over over a decade over 12 years of me being the sole breadwinner right so yeah it it gets more and more interesting over time but you know one of the other things i'd like to talk about entrepreneurship is some of the things i wasn't prepared for oh 
Well, like what? What were? What was it that? <laughs> What was it that you weren't prepared for, <laughs> Priscilla? What are you horrible at? Tell yeah, me <laughs> yeah. Let's let's just uh, let's just pull down your pants right here. Oh, I really hope we're still talking in metaphors. Yes, we are. <laughs> <laughs> That's why it's not a video podcast. Okay, good. Otherwise, let's, we'd have to have an NC seventeen rating. Let's never risk that. <laughs> <laughs> I think that. Um, uh, you know, off the top of my head, you know, I've mentioned several times and it really comes out pretty quickly to me. I think that um, many people, and this has been my experience, but also I've talked with a lot of entrepreneurs. They weren't prepared for how lonely it can be as an entrepreneur, not right. having peers. And only so much networking can help you work this out, <laughs> right. you know, because really not being lonely involves real friendship and real friendship involves trust and real trust involves vulnerability, which means you have to show some people how you're not perfect. And that's hard to do for an entrepreneur. And I don't think because they just aren't wired that they don't want people to see that they fail. I think that entrepreneurs are just so pressed for time. Mm, They're so time poor. There's always something. There's always a decision make to make. There's always, have you, have you ever built a house? No. Okay, well, also, I did that. <laughs> yeah, right. It's I know. That's like what's so funny. It's like because – and how long ago was it that you built the house? Um, right when we became entrepreneurs. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Good Lord. Yeah, here, let's let's add a stressful situation oh, I was and also, add another stressful situation to it. I was also eight months pregnant. <laughs> yeah. oh, well, I get you know, uh, if you're going to go big – Oh, so, you know, when you're building a house, the number of decisions that you have to make, like you look at a house and you think this is so awesome. It's going to be exactly what I want, where I want. I'm going to have my, my whole dream. Right. Right. And literally, it's just a funny point at which like the contractor calls and says, you need to choose the knobs for your drawer poles in the kitchen. And you're like, no way. <laughs> I can't, I can't do, do it. This. You like run out of the house screaming, pulling all your clothes off. You're just like, you, you just can't take it anymore. It's just like, I had no idea how many things would you like beige light switches or white? Do we want the baseboards to be natural wood? Do we want them two inches, three inches, four inches? Do you want wainscoting in here? I mean, Literally, it is so overwhelming. And seriously, I know other people are like, oh, well, I would be so lucky to build a house. I'm, I'm, I'm not trying to be like, oh, woe is me. I'm just telling you the reality is right. that things are not what they seem many times. And there is a burden of decision making that comes right. with being an entrepreneur. Yes. You don't have the luxury of a lot of think it overs. Mm. Mm, and I that's think a, that's a good distinction. The nebulous like reaction that can be, I'll think it over, n does not win in entrepreneurship. I believe a no, a clear no wins. Right. You can say yes. And I think that's one of the other interesting things about it, entrepreneurship. I think people think that you have to say yes to everything. That you just risk, 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 you know. No, you don't. <laughs> you know. There are a lot of no's where I think people don't succeed in entrepreneurship is they don't commit, but they leave the decision there and it just kind of weighs on uh, on you. Oh, my gosh. OK, I'm going to digress for a minute and tell you something I think is so helpful, has okay, been so that? helpful for me over years. 
my sister Michelle talked with me many years ago. It actually is probably about 10 or 12 years ago, right about this time. Oh. And, you know, things are, I, we must have been having a conversation about how things are stressful. And you've got, I'm a, I'm a wife, I'm a mom, I'm a sister, I'm a daughter, I'm, I'm a friend, I'm a church member, I'm a mentor, I'm a leading some of the community. I mean, it's just so much. And you get worn out, right? And we all try this balance and whatever like that. But I did not realize that my lack of making some decisions was what was killing me. Because everybody gets this many things thrown. I'm not special. Well, I'm special. But I'm not special special in this fact. (laughs) Right, right. Thanks for joining me on that, Dan. You're welcome. (laughs) I didn't want to jump too soon. Okay. Um, Everybody, everybody has so much being thrown at them at any time. Right. And what was happening was I would defer a decision to later thinking that would be better for me. And I, if you can, this is how I could envision it. This is what she told me. It's basically a function of circles. I'm like, what? (laughs) And her mother-in-law had shared this with her. And she was talking about how like, you know, someone comes to you and say, hey, can you volunteer for a blah, blah, blah. I don't know. Let me check it out. Right. So someone just handed you a circle. It's open. Right. So the circle's open. It's sitting there. The stress of the circle is there because it is open. Right. Okay. And you may be at varying degrees of closing it. Well, I'm pretty sure I'm 90% sure I'm not going to do it, but you haven't told them you're not going to do it yet. Right. 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 Or, you know, gosh, I don't know. I got to think about that. I got to ask how many people in the circle. I got to ask Steve if I can do that. I got to ask, you know, my daughter, if she really wants to go to that, I got to go, you know, what are the things you need to do to make that decision? Some of the circles are really long. Some of them you could go, uh, no (laughs) and done. But I, had a harder time earlier on just saying no straight across or saying no soon. Right. And so circle, 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 just unending, you know, Hmm. last year, I think it was, I was reading a uh, book by Lisa Turkhurst and it was something to the effect of the power of no. I'm I'm sorry. I got that wrong there. Uh, Really great though. The idea of the small no, tell people like if, if something you can't do, don't, don't think about it or say yes, because later on you're going to have to say no to someone else. And this is all variants on the theme. This is kind of how things have progressed for me over time. But I was talking with our good friend Diana Ott about yes. how do we bounce. She is way up there in corporate world and right, juggling right. much more important deadlines than than come across my desk. And we were talking about how do we balance that with, with life and family because she's the sole breadwinner of her household too and has been for even longer than I have. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, I feel that camaraderie with her. Well, she and I were talking about it one time and I basically explained my theory, which is when I say yes to somebody, I just have to envision Maya's face in front of me, my daughter. And at that time I only had a, my daughter. And I had envisioned myself looking at her and saying, no, mommy can't do that because mm. mommy's doing this. So use whatever like function works for you. Think about the small no versus um, the big no you'll have to say later and completely eat crow. Right, right. <laughs> um, you know, and to me, that's just about telling people the truth, whether you can do things or not. Um, but then or the circles, the idea of how long is it going to get me to make a yes or a no? The, the length of that time is going to add to my stress or the idea of you have to you have to weigh it. If you say yes to something, you have to say no to something else. Yes. And so I think that 
the reason why that matters in entrepreneurship is because you have so many demands, so many decisions to make. And so you have to come up with a system and be awake and alive to your own decisions about how you get there quicker. Mm. What is your system? And what I can say about that is I don't care what your system is, but get one. Right, right. Have something. Yeah. And I don't know what would work for you, but those those three examples of some things that might work, but you cannot overestimate the power of stress that comes from just the number of decisions that you need to make. So, boy, did I just kind of bring the house down there on that one. I know. (laughs) It's It's like I'm sitting here going, wow. Well... Well, now tell me this. This is something that I don't think a lot of people talk about in in regards to entrepreneurship. Like, let's talk about interpersonal relationships. <laughs> <laughs> it, now we're really going to bring the house down. Like, I mean, what have you noticed in your journey of being an entrepreneur has been some of the more challenge? I, I don't want to say difficult because, I, I mean, difficult implies that there's that it's difficult, <laughs> I guess. But but more challenging. What are the more challenging aspects? of your interpersonal relationships being being an entrepreneur. It, it is it is difficult. I, I boy, I'm gonna just reveal one of mine. I, I this could be I'm the only person that had to deal with this, but kind of what I talk about the number of decisions and the stress that you're feeling being really bringing home the bacon and this kind mm-hmm. of this stress that you have. Sometimes be with my friends or be maybe in more social settings, I was it was too difficult to kind of let them go to be with people. And I really had to realize that I don't like being around people who are constantly soliciting a badge of honor for how busy they are. Oh, interesting. I, I don't find it fun. Now, I know now who my friends are. I can be like, rough day at the office, you know, if you can get into it with them. Right. Or, and also successes. I think it's, it's equal where they, they want to hear that detail, but I found that if I truly am overtired and it has been too much, I have to back out of social things. So Priscilla, tell me about this, because this is one thing I don't think a lot of people talk about uh, in, in entrepreneurship is like your interpersonal relationship, like the relationships you have with people you're working with. Mm-hmm. How, how, how challenging is that? Like, what are the struggles? What are the challenges that you have to go through on that? I hear you chuckling already. So, so obviously there's something there. So, so go ahead. Well, there's amazing, great stuff there and there's amazing hard stuff there. We have a very open environment here in particular. And so, And we are also very open about how we are trying to build something very different. And we're trying to have a culture. As Beth, my project manager, said the other day in one of our culture meetings, she's like, guys, this isn't, um, you know, something I take lightly. I literally am with you more of my waking hours than I am with my husband who I chose. You know, and she's like, and that's why this these sessions mean so much to me. And I love being able to connect with you guys. And I just wow. sat there and I was like, ding, 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 ding. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I was like, it's so cool. You know, that's what I'm saying is that you want to set up a place where you just really have a uh, trust and you, you know, and I know everybody says, oh, we're like a family. I I don't know if we're like a family. I guess maybe we are. I, I, I guess I feel like people overuse that. And so I kind of shy away from that. Sure. How sure. about we be like amazingly respectful human beings to each other? <laughs> <laughs> that substitute (laughs) that okay that'll work sure sure that sounds good i was not prepared for as many hurt feelings as you can have when you're dealing with you know as the boss i have to tell people where they stand 
right. where they're knocking right. it out of the park, where they're not. And it, it, the reality, you know, they say in science that if you tell someone one negative thing, you have to tell them 12 positives. Oh, right. Yes. I don't know if that's an old wives tale, but my gosh, it's pretty close. <laughs> <laughs> well, my wife uses that in her therapy. It's like she... it's when she talks to married couples, it's like. <laughs> If you're going to say one negative thing, you've, you've got to temper it with at least five to ten positives. Oh. Well, uh, there's several things that I've learned interpersonally here is that I'm a very direct person, and it's become such a joke here, and a joke in the best way, is that everybody knows that I, I really do have a good heart. I'm, just, I'm really trying to offer you the truth. That right. is me. Me telling you where you stand is me loving you. It right. means I, you have earned my respect. I'm not going to beat around the bush i'm telling you exactly what you need and everybody always jokes around and said you know as soon as i start talking they'll be like oh, okay we'll just say that with a softening statement <laughs> <laughs> so i have to seriously go back and revise i'm be like i think you're an amazing designer but i'm not understanding where you're going with this right so right. i usually will just say i'm not understanding where you're going with this <laughs> right and they're like oh good just say the same thing but with a softening statement <laughs> And I go, oh, okay, but that's the help I need. And I've, you know, been open with people and say, you know, I, this, that's what I need in order to give the people around me what they need. Right. They right. need to hear, hear it softened. And I forget that because I don't need it softened to me right. to that degree. Right. Not at work. I need it softened from Steve, yes. but I don't need it softened at work. But that's my personality. That's what I need. But I should right. be giving people what they need, not what I need. <laughs> yeah, and that's such a that's such a great point. I mean, because as an entrepreneur, you expect people to, you want them to be treated the same way you want to be treated. Right, that's your gut instinct, but actually, right. it's totally wrong. You need to treat people the way they want to be treated, right? Not the way right. I want. So people, and then when people come in to me, you could just cut the softening statement out. Just tell me what you need. Yeah, tell because me the bottom line. Give me the bottom line because I'm a bottom line person. Yeah. Uh, you know, and, and obviously we're talking a little bit in extremes because obviously I do like softening statements. I do like being treated really very kindly. And so it's not like I I am not a robot. Right. <laughs> <laughs> but I am less that way. And so people have right. to worry less about my feelings, not not care about my feelings. Because obviously, you know, everything I've done is some form of a dance in order to say, look at me, aren't I awesome? Right. <laughs> you right. know, and so, and also I believe really strongly my culture coach, Brett Baker from Trust Point Management out of Springfield, Missouri, he likes to remind me that everybody everywhere, no matter where they're walking, what they're doing, what they just finished saying, they are stroke deprived. Oh, interesting. That's a great concept. So why not be that person who can give a stroke and then talk to them? And I don't mean be fake and false. And I think that's why people don't hand out some of that kind of compliment stuff, because some of it is such crap. Sure. sure. Don't give out stuff that is not fair. Right. It, it, and, and that means also don't get stuff. Don't don't build someone up higher than they are. Because when you finally have to come and tell them that they're not good, they're like, yeah, but all this time you've been saying how amazing I am. Right. You know, give someone the truth. But remember, they're stroke deprived. They're people and they're not robots. And we all are walking around this entire planet stroke deprived. What would it be like today if we gave someone a stroke before we said something? Yeah. So I wow, wasn't. That's such, a good, that's such a good thing to remember because it's like you think, oh, okay, well, they're fine. Right. They're all good. Mm -hmm. So I can just drop whatever on them and they'll be okay. But right. it's like, no, you got to 
you know, you, you, you can't, uh, sometimes you can't give them the cough syrup without the cherry flavor. Right. And then there's some things you just have to do that there's no softening. I mean, sure. I hate firing people. Sorry. Uh, it comes with a job. And honestly, if someone had told me before I became an entrepreneur, I would I would think it would have stopped me. On the other hand, I think probably not because I wouldn't really understood what they're saying. But I got to tell you, knowing what I know now, I may not have gone into it because I don't like hiring and firing. Oh, That is brutal to me. And, you know, I don't like it. But it is what you have to do. We're, we really want a special culture here. So you can be, you can fit in the culture and not be talented and it not work out. Or you can be really talented, but not ever fit into this culture and it not work out. And it's hard. Right. You know, it's like, I don't want to put anybody down in that. It's just maybe not for us or something. And that is, that's hard. So it's not like you can go around it and be like, always give people the good news. Um, but I'm just saying that entrepreneurs, that's hard. That's hard on them. And it, it it's something that really is mitigated here for me with a very supportive management team. Right. And I find right. the more support I give out to them, the more I get back. And if you have that small group around you that can really understand where you're coming from and trust you, then it mitigates some of those really hard decisions and hurt feelings. And it's not fun. And like you said, it, you know, it, it is difficult. Those are challenging interpersonal issues because nobody takes pleasure in that. And everybody no. wants to come to a great environment at work. And But at the end of the day, we're, we're, we are a business and we're trying to make something special and be profitable. And that comes at a certain price and in a certain balance. So right. I, I think one of the things I could end saying is kind of one of my biggest debunking things oh interesting <laughs> yeah. like like the myth busters of entrepreneurship. yeah yeah let's get it let's right. get it this is our our um metaphorical two liter bottle of coke with mentos <laughs> <laughs> that is such a funny thing that we got to do a whole podcast on that mm. but uh so like uh, yeah let, give me your biggest like your biggest debunk like what what was it that, because I, I'm sure this has happened to you, and I mean, I've I've done little startups, but nothing like you've done, obviously, but where I've gone in with these rose-colored glasses on mm -hmm. thinking that everything was going to be amazing and, and people were just going to fall down at my feet <laughs> and just throw me piles of money. And, and like, so what was your biggest, like, I, I, I'm excited about this, so go ahead, I'll just shut up, go, go, go. Well, it is in that realm, the, the concept that if you have an idea, a really good idea, you're going to make millions. Right. <laughs> no, you're not. <laughs> <laughs> You'll or, be lucky if you make 10. Or, or, or you may, but it doesn't have to do with the fact that you had a good idea. That is one part of right. the recipe. And so part of kind of my big debunk is about that, the concept of, of like an one fantastic idea equals mogul, right. <laughs> you know, because, well, I'll get into that, why that's not in a minute. But the other one is the idea of overnight success. Oh, yes. Drives right. me nuts. And I'm yes. telling you, as an entrepreneur, you've got to let it go. You think that you've let it go. Oh, no, that's I know it's going to be work. No, no, no. Somewhere deep in your psyche, you still think you're going to be an overnight right. success. Right. And that is what makes late nights in your life difficult because, you, you, you know, difficulty comes your way and you're like, oh, it's like as if I didn't expect this. You should expect it. Right. You should expect it. It's coming. You know, um, 
on a little different level, but I think analogous to this, Brene Brown, a shame researcher. I love her work. I love her work. It's been so key in me understanding. I know that might sound like a stretch, but believe me, if you read the book, it's not. her. My, my favorite book of hers is The Gifts of Imperfection. Mm. And I think there's an analogous uh, correlation to the fact that she says, look, shame is a part of the human condition. We've all used it because it's an effective tool. It's a nasty tool. It's effective and you've got to get rid of it. That's my, okay, that's my synopsis. (laughs) (laughs) But she opens the book by saying that nobody gets out of this life experience unscathed. Everybody has to face the difficulty of shame and embarrassment. And I, I mean, it was like, I don't know, the fourth sentence, and I just was like, rock my world. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. But because it was, you know, and I know it, as as every amazing aha moment you've ever had, the moment you say it out loud to somebody, and now I've recorded it for posterity's sake, everybody else is like, yeah, duh. Yeah, right, exactly. (laughs) But my friend Brett always says, it doesn't mean anything to you until it means something to you. Right, And I had that big aha. I was like, oh, why am I just floored when it gets difficult? And if you're a Christian, you also know the scriptures. Like, well, I'm going to paraphrase here because I like paraphrasing because I really like the message. But this is is what it says in the Bible. I'm sorry, why did you think that this was going to be easy? Right. (laughs) You know, I know. And it's so, but it's everywhere. And that's because it's a human condition. So whether you're dealing with this idea of spiritual or Christianity, or you're dealing with shame as it comes to you, or just the fact that you are trying to make something special and organize something in a chaotic world, you're trying to make something out of nothing. So you are going to be met with difficulty. And I hate this American kind of entitlement, success, mogul, entrepreneurship pedestal that there is. And I joke around all the time. In fact, I just said it last night to someone. We were talking about, wow, I mean, you know, the momentum at our work is just exceptional right now. And I'm so excited. I'm so tired but I am so energized by it. I'm I'm so happy with where things are going. And I joked around and said, you know, we were talking about, wow, it's been six years. I feel like it's a big turning point for us. And I said, I know if I keep at this another 20 years, I'm going to become an overnight success. <laughs> <laughs> you know, and that's what's so funny about that whole overnight success thing. It's like, you know, it's, it, it's, I, I mean, it's only an overnight success because you just found out about them. Right, exactly. It's overnight to you. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. But you haven't seen the 20-plus years of blood, sweat, tears, sleeping in a van, you know, parked down by the river. Right. That kind of that kind of thing. It's like you haven't seen all of the backstory. Mm-hmm. So just because you just found out about them means they're an overnight success to you. Mm-hmm. But to the entrepreneur, it's been like, yeah, I've been an overnight success for uh, 15 years now. Right, right. So I feel like I could offer that to an entrepreneur. They, that would really resonate with them. It's like, quit trying to judge yourself on this idea as have you arrived yet? Mm. This isn't about arrival. This right. is about getting in and doing your best right now and putting your own unique take on it, being authentic, carving out your work-life balance, and trying to do something special in in your own way. Make your mark. And I I can sometimes when I'm more tired, I can kind of even with my podcast be like, oh, it should be more like this person's or this person's. I, in the end, I can't do anything but this because this is authentically who I am. Right. And I want to do more of this. So I'll come back just real quick to the idea of the idea. Okay. And where I think that hurts people is that the best thing I can offer someone about 
that concept, where it hurts entrepreneurs, is that when you have a great idea, you typically start sharing it, right? Mm-hmm. Well, who do you share it with? Your most intimate friends, your family, right? right? Who are right. all for you, right? They all love you. They want to support yeah. you. So what are they going to say? Oh, that's a great idea. <laughs> <laughs> and you're not getting the kind of hole poking Right, the feedback that you really need. Right, right. So then that idea grows, and people think, oh, better and better and better. And they don't typically solicit hard criticism. And you can break that down to where someone saying, well, I have this idea for this in town. Well, did you realize we already have four of those in town, and two of them aren't doing well? And I'm not saying that says don't do it. You might look at that and say, oh, that's right, and two of them aren't doing well. What aren't they doing that is hurting it so that I can do mine better? I'm not saying don't do it. Right. I'm just saying understand where your place might be in the market and yes. understand the feedback you're getting is the feedback you're requesting. Right. So consider that about your idea. And then the other thing I could say that would be helpful about it is what they call in like in some industries rapid prototyping, mm-hmm. where you don't just kind of see the people focus on the startup. How would I get this started? That's what a young entrepreneur will do. How do I get this started? I'll figure out all the rest later. Right. And believe me, You'll have to figure all the rest out later. But a rapid prototyping, almost like getting a whiteboard and like doing a skeleton of what would the company look like at year one, at, at six months, at one year, five years, at six years, at seven years, at eight, you know, it's like, or or it, maybe that's kind of a bigger thing and you can't extrapolate that. But why don't you put like the first six months on the board and just rapid prototype what would need to be done here, what would need to be done here, what would need, and breaking down and really understanding what all would be involved Okay, well, so then the idea is we bring this particular thing to market. Okay, when and how and what else is in the market? When are we going to do the research to find out what is? And and I mean, I'm not talking about this being millions of dollars. I'm talking about an afternoon and 50 bucks worth of pizza with three people. Right, right, right. You know, and just take that, what that means to you, rapid prototyping, run, run it as quickly as you can through as many paces as you know how. Yes. And, you know, get input if you want or whatever. But just because it's a good idea doesn't mean you should start that company. Right. (laughs) Honestly, Priscilla, all the stuff that we've talked about today has been, I mean, you can't really put a price tag on it. Because really, you've given out a lot of the things that takes an entrepreneur years to find out. Right, yeah. Yeah, I'm, you know, I, there and, is a little tear coming down my eye right now. That's <laughs> yeah, right. That's right. Well, here, here's a virtual Kleenex for okay, that. Okay, thank you. <laughs> so, but thank you, Priscilla. I mean, because honestly, that, that's why I love these conversations because they really do help. I, I don't. I keep using the word demystify, but it's it's not really demystify as much as it is pulling back the veil and seeing the things that that you will experience down the road in the future being an entrepreneur. And I think, I think these conversations are incredibly valuable because if you, if you can expose them to the light, number one, like we talked about before, it takes some of the terror aspect out of it. And it's like, you go, Oh, okay. I see that coming two years from now. So Mm -hmm. it's good to start thinking about it now so that I don't, so it's not a big shock when it shows up. Mm -hmm. Well, this has been great. And of course, listeners, we want to hear about your adventures and entrepreneurship and the things you've encountered. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, we could almost write a book, right? I I think that would be such a great book about entrepreneurship, like the stuff people no one told you. Oh, yeah. See, see, that's how you go opening another circle for me. Exactly. (laughs) 
that's another podcast altogether. <laughs> well, of course, listeners, we want to hear your stories and hear the things you've experienced, because I'm sure that there are many things that you've gone through that we have no idea about. And, of course, you can always put that on our Facebook page, on uh, the Little Bird website, or wherever you get this podcast from. So, please, we do want to hear from you. And we want to hear your ideas about what we should be talking about, because this really is for you, the entrepreneur. So for the Little Bird Marketing Company, the home of cage-free thinking, this has been Ponderings from the Perch with Priscilla McKinney and, of course, myself, Dan Ledbetter. So have a great day. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.